Hello, I am with Molly McPherson. I'm so excited. You're you're blowing up on TikTok right now. Can you tell me a little bit about? I mean, I know what you do. I feel like my audience does, but just to anyone who might not, who's listening. Well, what I do for work is slightly different than what I do on TikTok. TikTok is a lot more fun, but I work in public relations specifically in crisis management, crisis communication strategies. So I carry a full client list. I'm a public speaker. I have a podcast, um, but also on my off time, I go on TikTok. Yes, I it's um I and I listened to your podcast. I'm going to link it below too. Um we were just talking about my friend Nikki and I and sometimes when your podcast episodes come out, like we'll send it to each other and be like, "Oh my gosh, I can Holly put out an episode about da da da." So, um it's just so interesting to hear from your perspective. I'm a big believer whenever I do talk about anything that's going on in the news or like with celebrities, especially just cuz I never want to dogpile. I always say like, I don't want to say something unless I'm adding something new to the conversation of value. And I feel like you're so like that where anytime you do talk on a topic, it's because you're giving some insight that isn't like the same 100 just comments that people have already made. Mm -hmm. um, and in that note, I want to, this is like something I'm just so curious about since you're a PR professional and you're kind of known now is like TikTok's PR specialist. Can you define for me public relations? Like yeah, public relations. Yeah. So the official definition of, you know, that that some use it, at least with PRSA, which is a public relations society of America, it's the mutual beneficial relationship between stakeholders and a stakeholder is an audience. Uh, so think of, a singer and an audience or someone, you know, buying albums or someone buying football tickets. And so when there's a mutual beneficial relationship there, um, it's not necessarily money. Like advertising is your pain for publicity. Mm -hmm. PR is simply doing it with the exchange without money. Right. And I, cause I remember that, that definition much when I was so I was in college and I studied marketing and I had to take a PR class and mm -hmm. they were teaching us like PR is the mutually beneficial relationship with stakeholders. And they even mentioned that it could be uh, meeting with people like within the company, even like employees, because they're a stakeholder or yes, absolutely. Um, if it's investors in the company, having conversations with them. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, not to get too deep into it, but you took mm -hmm. this class. I mean, most people assume that it's, you know, it's, it's an entity in the press or, mm -hmm. you know, it's a celebrity and the fans, but yes, if you own a business or run a business, your employees as well. Uh, so yeah. yeah, stakeholders are everywhere. Yeah. And, and that kind of leads me to my second question. Um, I feel like people get it confused on TikTok a little bit, even though they are, I would say cousins, maybe sisters, but do you think there's a difference between marketing and PR? Oh, absolutely. And I will, you know, I'll fully admit, like I am branded. My branding's like a little off because everyone knows me as PR and I've just, someone has decided to dub and the algorithm has dubbed me like PR lady. So, you know, I just yeah. go with it because now yeah. I've created the SEO search for it, but public relations truly is that, you know, definition, mm -hmm. but marketing is right in between, 
in that gray area between advertising and public relations. Mm-hmm. You know, marketing is the skill set where we are really, you're pushing a product. It's like more closely associated with sales, mm-hmm. whereas public relations is more associated with ideas and public perception. It's like brokering perception and marketing is brokering sales. It's really interesting though. The word PR is such a buzzword on TikTok right now. It is. Yeah. It makes me excited though about how many, we might see a new generation of younger Gen Z um, going into this field that maybe didn't know. Like I know when I went into college, I thought I could be a journalist marketing or in business. And I didn't even know PR was um, a thing until I went and studied it. But um, it's really cool to think about like how many people in the workforce might be inspired by seeing videos of yours on the For You page. Okay, I'll admit it. Like I feel that. I honestly feel that. You know, I've been, I mean, I've been doing this for years, but you know, TikTok to me, I'd say, you know, I've been on it, I guess almost two years now. I I did notice the moment that I started to, uh, my visibility was definitely increasing, but I'm not someone, ironically, I don't like PR for myself. I don't feel comfortable pitching mm-hmm. myself. It is the most ironic statement I could possibly right? say. But when I'm like, when I'm on TikTok, what I love is doing PR for PR. That's how I see it. It's not PR for myself. I, 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 that's just the extra benefit to it, but I love doing PR for PR and I actually see it. Like I see people getting excited, like just in my comments and how many people write to me to be a mentor, to help in their class, to speak in their class, professors, so many people are reaching out, but the true mark, and I know you will appreciate this because you're very predictive in your thinking. The reason why I now think PR public relations is trending is the moment I'd say like maybe two months ago is when legacy press started picking it up. So in August is when I went from doing mostly interviews with digital culture reporters, internet Mm -hmm. culture reporters to legacy LA times, Mm -hmm. wall street journal, New York times. Like I had two New York times hits in less than two weeks. I mean, I've been in this career for two decades. The last time I got a New York Times hit was two decades ago. And I had it two, you know, almost in two weeks. But all of them, they weren't coming at me to say, oh, look, could you talk to me about Ashton Amila? Or could you talk to me about Joe Jonas? It's the same question that I got when NBC News called me, you know, last week when I was doing an interview coming out of a hotel. They're fascinated by the PR machinations behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's a way that legacy media can talk about the clicky stories that everybody is talking about, the buzzy stories, but they come at it with a different, in in the hierarchy of content, just at a higher level, like more of a thinker level on it, which I don't care, I'll do it. But that's the difference that's happened. So I, I am, what I'm benefiting from is people are associating me with that. And I'll be the first person to say I'm proud of it but I'm proud of it collectively for everyone who works in my field. It's an exciting time to be in PR. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I remember when I, I think I've, I found you early on just because I think I love finding kind of professionals in the field as well. But for me also, I would love to know what you think was the moment that you really started to take off. But the moment that I knew, and I think this was around when I was like, okay, I'm reaching out for an interview. I like, this has to happen. But 
it was so fascinating. You posted a video where I think you were playing at a soccer game or something at night and you were leaving the game and you were like, I knew that Mila and Ashton put out an apology because my phone started blowing up and people were, and I was like, whoa, like that is so like, just to think about the fact that, and I was reading random threads on like Instagram, like media outlets and people were in the comments like I wonder what Molly's gonna say about this and I'm like that is so cool to like be that person were you but like what was who is Molly I, yeah, <laughs> why do these like, people care what she thinks <laughs> yes someone's like does anyone know the username of the PR lady and everyone's like Molly McPherson but what was the moment for you where you were like oh this is and also how, what made you decide to get on TikTok because I know for me like it was an easy decision because I was working on TikTok before in the early days. But what made you decide? Because I feel like the wheels of corporate move kind of slow sometimes. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there was maybe even confusion amongst people that you work with. Not malicious, but I, I feel like some people would be like, why TikTok? But now it's normal. Uh, well... But Yes and no. And yes and no, because okay. I, I mean, I definitely work in that co that corporate space, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so journey wise, I, you know, I've always worked in some element of the media, whether mm -hmm. it was journalism, public affairs, uh, or uh, crisis communication, whatever. My entire career has been has been that. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always followed the internet, even when I was in graduate school two decades ago. I, I've always been fascinated by it and I followed it. My career has always been around it. And when I worked for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, I was one of the first people to think digitally to start the social media program there. Uh, but the, for TikTok, I started working as a consultant and my really my hook was I was letting C-suite leadership. Um, under, I was telling them how to use social media, how to trust it, how yeah. to build their reputation on it. Uh, but then came the point I thought, well, if I'm going to be preaching this, I have to get on TikTok at some point. So yeah. I was a lurker for years. I mean, during the pandemic, but then just one day I said, you know what? I got to jump in. I got to do it. I didn't announce it. I did not tell anyone. I did it in the darkest corners possible just to try it out. And then my teenagers like, no, no, you yeah. did that wrong. You did it wrong. And so then I just kept doing it. Right. But I found my voice in what I love. And I know you would say this. It's you can tell people on the app who just are passionate about what they do and they love what they do. Yeah. And I mean, I've been a pop culture person my entire life. Yeah. Like I've like a TV hound, like all of it. This, this is nothing is new to me on this. I love it. Yeah. So I just merged the conversation and culture of TikTok with what I like in my off hours, which is following, you know, celebrities and all that other stuff. And, and just being a person who loves culture just in general, I just love it. But they merged at a time when I realized, oh my gosh, celebrities <clears throat> and people online are doing the same thing that my clients are doing. It's just no one cares about my clients. You know, they're, they're just regular people, but they're doing the same thing. And then adding in there like the, uh, the human behavior, because public relations is human relations. Mm -hmm. And people loved the schadenfreude of seeing people fail or whatever. So instead of, you know, dogpiling on people, like you said, mm -hmm. I like to analyze why things happen to help people and to teach people. Yeah. And have you ever had a celebrity that you've talked about reach out to you to hire you onto their team? Yes. Wow. Okay. I won't go further because I know, and like, you know, yeah. it's a very, but that's so 
cool. It's crazy. I, I will be the first wow. person when the first time it happened, I, I mean like, wow, okay. I see the space that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. And since then, um, yeah, I, it doesn't shock me anymore, but what one was shocking is recently I was, I was, I was doing an interview with someone and they were telling me that they were going to work on this project. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting. And they said, you know, I think we want you to come in and comment on it. I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely would. You know, and after that ended, I, I opened up my phone. That person was on my phone. Oh, <laughs> to hire, they messaged to you? Uh-huh. Wow. I thought, what are the chances? But really now I shouldn't be as surprised. I mean, it yeah. was crazy. I mean, that's, that's where I'm in right now. And it's funny because people are saying, she never talks about this person. She must be hired by this person. And what's also interesting oh, is wow. I've been hired and my work has been on TikTok, definitely, and on social media. And people will tag it. They'll go to the the whatever it is, and they'll tag me and say, what do you think of this? Comment on it. But the best is when people say or tag me and say, this is the worst response we've ever seen. And then they would tag me to fix it. Like, And that yes. was my response. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Um, Wow. That's, it's, that's something too, that I forget. Well, two things you said also before I loop in, I want to add that you mentioned like, this was something you were already doing before you started TikTok. And that's something I always advise people, people throw the word authenticity around, like it's like a buzzword, but what I describe authenticity to when I'm talking to clients or even in my pod, whatever I say, authenticity is doing something that you would be doing whether a camera was recording you or not. And that's when you know that you're really aligned. Like if I see that like playing Pokemon is the biggest trend ever, and I just want to hop on that trend to get famous, the audience can kind of tell if you're someone that actually enjoys it or you're just doing it because it's trendy and there's nothing wrong with exploring things. But I always tell people like, you know, you're aligned when you're making videos about something that you would love to be doing, whether a camera is there or not. Yes, it becomes work and sometimes it's stressful, but you will be able to maintain that for a long period of time and not get burnt out as quick because you enjoy what you're doing prior to TikTok existing or a camera on your phone existing. Um, But then, yeah, I was going to say, I always forget that like, you know, people in the public eye, they're also on their phones bored scrolling through TikTok in airport lobbies or in the car. And I've actually had now where I'll have some people that reach out and I work with them. And then I make videos about celebrities and I never am mean or anything, but I've noticed that I have to like sometimes tiptoe around certain things, knowing that like one of my clients is associated to them like through family or, or if they're like enemies I don't want to get like, I've never had anyone bring up any problems, but it is something I'm so aware of now, but I still know that like at the heart of it, I want to be authentic to my audience first. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of this like minefield that you start. I have to commend you. I have to commend you because I can tell when you do it (laughs) and I admire you for that because you, you approach it, you you know, you approach it in a very fair and balanced way. And it's like you tiptoe up to it, but then you lean in on your listener and your follower because you feel like that's where your obligation is, but you're, but you're not going to, you know, break that, you know, you're not going to sever what you have there. You do a very good job because I'm, I'm the same way. It's, it's not easy 
to navigate it. It's not. But when you think about that end game, like what's the, what's the objective here is I want to share or teach, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. And that's what you do. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes I'll see people online who like some people will clickbait or they'll talk about some, or they'll say something really crazy and it's a viral moment, but I'm like, I would rather have a slow burn and add value than like hop on every crazy thought that's being shared and grow quickly, but then kind of be like, um, a shallow, I guess, reporting in a way. Um, and so with all that being said, now I want to move into, I want to ask you about what I think are some of the bigger celebrity scandals that happened this year. Now, the first one I want to start with, cause this is the one I try not to have parasocial relationships, but I mean, I know they happen subconsciously, but one that really hurt me and I wasn't even a big, I didn't watch the 70s show. I, I just liked them as celebrities and mm -hmm. I thought they were one of the good ones, but Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, um, it was revealed through the courts that they put in a letter, a character reference for one of their friends who was convicted of very violent sexual crimes, even pulled out a gun on one of the victims. And it was so opposite from who they were, too, because of their work with Thorne. What are your thoughts on that situation? Ooh, yeah. So Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, uh, you know, I'm of a ge different generation. Um, <clears throat> you know, he was, uh, Ashton Kutcher was married to Demi Moore, mm -hmm. who was certainly of my, you know, generation yeah. growing up. And I did not carry the same amount of admiration that you have for him okay. uh, as, as I do only because I yeah. just think through age comes some wisdom just because you've been around. And I've heard mm -hmm. way too many stories about Ashton Kutcher and behavior, I, f I find him to be a very self-centric type of individual, which I mm -hmm. think this experience, because uh, that's what a crisis will do. It will reveal the true character of people when you're under pressure and you could see that. Mm -hmm. And what he did is he protected himself. Now, uh, and then Mila Kunis, just my opinion, I mean, definitely been aware with her, certainly of that show too. I find her to have less agency than she appears. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. she's younger than, than yeah. Ashton Kutcher and they have a way of just having people follow them. And, uh, and I feel that Mila has been going along with Ashton for a while. So I don't give her as much of the, um, the stink on this one that he deserves, yeah. but certainly she did it with him. But yeah, so th this one I just felt was Ashton Kutcher truly revealing who I've always felt Ashton Kutcher was. And when it came down to it, he, he placed loyalty to a friend first, and there was probably some benefit to it. Uh, again, mutually mm -hmm. beneficial is, you know, you, you never want your close allies to be in prison, to be accused of those things. You know, Ashton Kutcher, uh, you know, in addition to his work with Thorne, uh, you know, he's, he's an investor, he's a speaker. I mean, he's a well-compensated mm -hmm. speaker but he liked having influence. Like he liked going to Congress and testifying on behalf of Thorne. And he used Thorne in a way I felt to give him this protection mm -hmm. of image of someone who cares about women. But the stories about him are quite contradictory to that. So that this crisis is the type that I see all the time. It's mm -hmm. someone just revealing them true, their true selves. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. And he was exposed for it. Yeah. And, and what you were saying about even like Mila Kunis, of course, I'm not, I, you know, body language expert, if that even really like 
truly is a science or even a psychologist, none of those things. But the impression that I got was that Mila seemed resentful in that apology. Like the way that she almost looked at the camera in that moment of like almost a silent understanding between her and the camera, the way that a friend would look at another friend. Like I told you this would happen. Like kind of like, a yes. hmm, like I didn't want to do this. Yeah. And I, I had said that in a post that I made mm. over the weekend about uh, London and Olivia Stallings. It's yes. the same way. And, and I just, and I know this too, I'll admit, like, because I work with clients and I know how they feel. So I, I kind of know this yeah. firsthand is when people are stuck in the middle of a crisis due to someone else's hands, or they're just adjacent to it and they're thrown in the center of it more than anything, they're just pissed. They, yeah. they are pissed that they have to do it, that someone said to them, now you got to do an apology video. You have to say something. They're so angry that they have to do this. Yeah. And, and it's really hard to mask that. Mm -hmm. So that's what Mila, in my opinion, and Ashton were both doing, but Ashton was able to, you know, to cover it a little bit more because he was trying to be like morose and forlorn, you know, and sad about it when Disheveled. really he was just as pissed. Yeah. Just as pissed as she was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting when I saw the video of their apology, Ashton to me, almost the way his hair was and his mannerisms was almost childlike. And I know a lot of, especially white men yeah, and white women are able to get away with certain things because they're able to put on this mask of like, I'm just a kid. Like I'm, I didn't know better. Like, I'm sorry. Um, and I almost got the impression, whether it was intentional or not, that he kind of had this almost childlike mannerism, whereas in his thorn Congress speeches and speaking, he's very authoritative. He has a strong posture. And it was so interesting. It was almost like a way for people to pull back. But um, one, I would love to ask you, um, what are there any like public because maybe I am just not of that generation? Um is what stories kind of made you apprehensive around him? Oh, about Ashton Kutcher? Yeah. Um, yeah, because what he did in, in in that video was performative. Mm -hmm. There's just there's just no doubt. But how, I mean, a lot of these stories are coming out about him anyway, but he he was never known for being someone who treated women well. Okay. He led by ego. He led by mm -hmm. arrogance. He, he's, like I said, a self-centric person. And it was another way of saying that they're very selfish and they do things for themselves, which yeah. is why people usually get, end up in a crisis anyway. And when you look at the, and you know, you read about what Danny Masterson did and you know, what he did, what Awful. he does to this woman and Ashton Kutcher for him to be the face of Thorne, I found it I to be highly ironic, like yes. curiously ironic. That's what hurt. <laughs> The most. Yeah. Cause I was like, oh, I thought this was a champion. I also think an angle that I haven't heard anyone talk about that I immediately thought of was, yeah, this is going to hurt their public life, but I think it's going to be more detrimental to their personal life. They have young children. I cannot imagine sending a, like if I have a kindergartner and they're in school with their daughters, I could not now imagine sending my child to someone's home who befriended and not only was friends with them, but then wrote letters to try and get leniency on sentencing after a conviction to someone who held a gun out during a violent assault of someone. Like, I, I just feel like people also 
didn't even think about like, yeah, their public life is hurt. I'm sure they have enough money to probably last them till retirement. I don't know, but it probably humiliated them in their personal lives. I don't know. Again, that's something you don't know, but I was like, I feel like this is something that like they're like, I just cannot imagine coming back from that. You want to look at like, what's at stake? Yeah. Like really what's at stake if they are, you know, if, if they get hit with some type of a crisis, a Will Smith is a little different from an Ashton Kutcher because nowadays Ashton Kutcher's work is not acting or being in a film. Right. Like, no, it's not a matter of, oh, Hollywood studio is not going to, you know, pick me up or insure, or insure me. He's a behind the scenes guy. So yeah. where it will affect him is as a speaker. Like I said, he is like one of the top speakers out there that people might not even know that he gets a ton of money to speak. Yeah. What corporation is going to have Ashton Kutcher speak now? Like that, he's going to take a hit there. Where he lost it is in trust because, yeah. and also being the face of Thorn, that was everything to him. He lost that. So it's huge to yeah. him. So the public may not see it as much, but to him, he will. But where is a Will Smith? I think Will Smith will come back. Well, you, you brought up though, I have yeah. to tell you, because right as I was getting ready to hop on to this call, was it the I Jada? saw. Jada Pickett Smith. Yes. <laughs> they, yes. They weren't together. They're, that's so confusing. See, I'm doing, a, as soon as I thought, okay, as soon as I get off this podcast, I'm doing a TikTok on this yes. because this plays in perfectly to what you're talking about. Will Smith, in my mind, was working his way through it, right? But now, so why, so what did he do? You know, so he slaps, you know, he, he slaps Chris Rock. Okay, why? What was his defense? Well, he, he was defending his wife. It wasn't. So he was, it was deception. So this impacts their brand. It absolutely does. He'll still come back, but it's one more thing that weakens the reason why he claimed that he was doing it. So that's why it's so hard, right? Like Richter's tale. It's, it's so, hard. It's so bizarre. I think in a weird way, whether it was intentional or not, I think that this information will help Will Smith because now he's being seen as like, Oh no. More the like, victim. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, Oh no. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if it's Jada Pickett Smith falling on the sword for him, or I don't think it's even intentional. I think she, like they just randomly talk about details of their relationship that are more shocking than the last. But I think that it's going to make him a victim, especially cause he is a male audience and men are going to be like, see, like, and I mean, it, they're not wrong in some ways, but they're going to be like, see, we can also be deceived in a relationship. It's not always, the man who's like the, the toxic one. So I think it's going to help him a hundred percent. Well, but didn't he though, but he, I see, I didn't read it cause I only saw the notification, okay. but I thought they, they, like he knew it about was what, what was the kid? Yeah. What was it? August? What was the kid's name? Um, uh, who she was with, hooked up with? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I know who you're So didn't about. Will Smith know about that? Yeah. So it just makes it, we'll say this, it's murky, okay. it's cloudy, yeah. but it's manipulative. It's manipulative. Yeah. And yes. the public now does not like to be manipulative, manipulated. No. Well, and see, the reason that I thought it might help him is I was reading comments when I saw a post about that coming out with her on the Today Show or whatever it was. And the comments were like, does Will know that they've been separated since 2016? Like, did anyone tell okay. Will? 
that's when yeah. I was like, oh, this could help him. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Yeah. We're going to see. I'm going to. I'm yes, sorry. I'm going to see. No, you're good. Yeah, we'll see. I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> I, I will watch you film it right now on this pod. But, yeah, um, no, <laughs> I was just looking at the news clip, but I'll do it right after this. Yeah. Yes. Um. So then moving on. It's in also, I think, too, like just in terms of like even, you know, I think white celebrities can sometimes get away with more as well for various reasons. But something that did happen this year that was huge was the Lizzo lawsuit. And again, this one is one of those things where I almost feel like you and I don't even really have like expertise anymore in this lane because it's just going into legal territory. Um, I mean, of course, it's both. But what are your thoughts now that the dust has settled a little bit? Do you think that she will come back from this? I was so like when I saw the news, I thought it was so debilitating because again, it was like the Ashton Kutcher thing where it was so opposite from who she was publicly. And it's almost like why someone I know this one podcaster I love fluently forward, she always talks about Gwyneth Paltrow, where Gwyneth Paltrow is just so herself, even when it's like out of touch and crazy, but like she can't really like even get canceled all the time because she's like, this is who I am. Like she's just open about mm -hmm. it. Yep. And I think that that's more of an armor than kind of like it, it. But what are your thoughts on what's going on with Lizzo now that the dust has settled? Uh, Well, I would argue that the the dust has settled only in the sense that people aren't talking about it as much anymore, yeah. but internally it has far from settled. So I did, um, I, I did an interview with Nightline Impact on ABC a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's streaming now on Hulu, the interview about Lizzo. And it's the deep dive into the legal case. So what's different about Lizzo, it's not just a personal like uh, publicity crisis. Yeah. It's really a legal crisis for her, but the legal the legal response is driving the public response. And I contend, and I still say this, the legal response is just from an antiquated playbook that doesn't work anymore. What they do is they just, they come out, they deny everything, and then they diminish the accusers, they diminish the case, they diminish it's not that big a deal, there's nothing to see here. And then once they get through the legal case, then they rebuild. That was a tried and true playbook that that was used for years and years and years, even by her lawyer who's been doing this. He's done Charlie Sheen, Bill Cosby. I mean, he's done all of the tough cases, but people don't understand. And I think you can appreciate this. People do not fully understand social media culture. They don't. Yeah. And they don't understand the impact of public opinion. Public opinion was much different when we only had television and radio newspaper. You could control it. Because you, all you had to do is control the media to control public opinion. You cannot control public opinion anymore. You can't. So that's why legal, I think the they sacrificed her reputation for her legal. They should have just settled out of court and then rebuilt her reputation. And I think it would have been better. This one, she'll come back. Again, hard on the Richter's tale, right? Yeah. They're diehard Lizzo fans who will still be Lizzo fans. Yeah. But I think she's lost a lot of those just middle of the road people who liked her they'll just move on to a different artist. They'll just like next. Yeah. So I will hurt her in the long, in the long run. Definitely. Yeah. And I also was thinking too, it might hurt her in the sense that like, she was such kind of like a Grammy darling and a VMAs darling. Yes, and she was like the face of award shows for two or three years. Mm -hmm. And now I, I don't believe she was at the VMAs. Like I, I just feel like there's whether that was her decision or theirs, but I really do feel like she's going to struggle 
um, in kind of that award show circuit where she really seemed to shine. I want to talk about Colleen Ballinger for a second. Were you aware of her prior to the ukulele video? Um, no, I, I will be, I will be honest. I was not. And I stated that I said, I was not yeah. aware of her at all. I mean, I know people, okay. but I, I, I just did not know her. Didn't. Okay. Cause I, so I guess, I mean, I was not a fan, but I was aware of her because my, I worked on the social media side of things for so long. And so I mm-hmm. knew of her as a celebrity in that space. And I, I posted this theory in my discord, in my Instagram story, but I had this kind of thought when I was getting these questions ready for you, where I remember when Colleen Ballinger's ukulele video came out and it's a misconception that it was an apology. It wasn't, it was just a statement singing with a ukulele and it's now a part of pop culture zeitgeist. I always say, I want to have a pop Mm -hmm. culture museum and like either that video will play in like a dark room or like if I could ever get like the ukulele in a case. Yes. um, The, I feel like it weirdly helped her because she had allegations of, I mean, I saw the videos. It's, it's allegations I'm going to say on the pod, but videos of very, very sexually suggestive content of children, whether it was her nephews or people in her life, kids she was bringing up on stage at shows and having them reach in her pants while she asked them to be her boyfriend. Very, very dark stuff that like, in my own opinion, allegedly, I don't know, felt like she was making content for an audience that we might not even be aware of. But that's just my own opinion. And it was very dark. And the ukulele video Although it humiliated her and people made fun of her, I think it is going to help her in the long run because it shifted the conversation from a dark, sinister one to a lighthearted, silly. I said, it's better to be a meme than a monster. And in that moment, I think unintentionally, she put herself in the lane of meme. And so now mainstream America, when they search her name, they're not seeing these dark allegations of her sending her lingerie to an, a 12-year-old. They are seeing, oh, she made a funny ukulele video. Next. And it's like, I think it weirdly at her expense, but it weirdly shifted the conversation. What are your thoughts on on kind of where that's at? Oh, I, I really, really appreciate how you think. Because we think in the same kind of muddled gray area space, mm-hmm. like you, you and I do, I can tell we do not draw lines in the sand because right. there's always gray area for everything. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. And the reason why I'm going to compare it to Russell Brand mm. and, and, and also this word comes in with Lizzo, uh, Colleen Ballinger was not dealing with a public relations crisis alone, she had a potential legal problem, you know, down the road. What we saw and where your head are going, where your head is going about the audience. And she may have been performing, you know, simultaneously, you know, for other audiences. There's some, see, I think there's something to that. Like the fact that she had to go legal first told me there was more there. So I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, we don't know, but you, you just never know why people are charged with things. So her priority was a legal defense first, reputational second. And I agree. She didn't want to come out and do the regular, what she did before, you know, her previous mm-hmm. one, which was, okay, you know, you know, I have to apologize. You know, I'm sorry. This right. is, I'm going to explain There's it. I, you know, her, yeah. ex- you know, her entire video. 
she needed to do something that was so abrupt and so different that it it, it was like the sudden abrupt like shake that yeah, shakes whoa. discourse and SEO yeah. and everybody and everybody focuses on one thing while she's dealing with the legal case. Like Russell Brand is doing the exact same thing. It's really quite brilliant what he's mm -hmm. doing is he cannot come out with a statement. I'm so sorry how I treated these people, blah, 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 blah. Because that guy has serious legal issues. So he has to do the complete counter. He's got to do something so crazy and wacky. And, you know, he did his video and said the media is out to get him. And, and then, you know, then he left YouTube because, you know, they demonetized him. And he's trying to get all these people to do it. Colleen Ballinger, the ukulele was the same thing. It was just this yes. abrupt thing. Now, you do say, though, was it beneficial, you know, like from a PR point of view, SEO and everybody talking about it? That's a tough one, you know, to do because mm -hmm. Russell Brand's the same thing. It's just kind of murky because one could argue, yes, the ukulele replaces all the all the bad things that she was doing on stage. But in every ukulele story, in the first graph, they explain what she's fighting. So it's there. It's not in the headline necessary. So you're right. But we can't truly draw a definitive line mm -hmm. to see what's the long-term impact. But your brain is like my brain. I think the exact same way about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so there's so many layers there. And often too, like the way I think of it is these celebrities or public figures, no one really knows what's going to go viral or why they can understand that the next statement I make is, you know, 500,000 people are updating my IG story to see what I'm going to say to a situation. But there's so much unpredictable, like unpredictable elements here. And I think people think celebrities are these like crazy masterminds. And I often think that they just make decisions. And then after people understand where the cards fell as a result. And I think Colleen Ballinger's situation was one of those things where I think it was just so someone in my discord said it felt like she threw a curveball, And I'm like, yeah, it's like she threw a curveball that was so crazy that we forgot what game we were playing we were like going up to hit a softball to be like you had these awful things happen and then she threw a ball so crazy that we're like wait are we playing soccer like wait what is going yeah like, it just confused mm -hmm. the audience in yep. a way um yep. and i mean but and then it also did hurt in the sense that it put her in the mainstream which i think is what she always wanted but not in that way because i remember i was in france at a hostel with my boyfriend and i went online and there were all these things about colleen ballinger's ukulele video and i'm like what's going on and my boyfriend who cares nothing about social media youtube stars he sat there with me and we watched the video like intently and so it was like this moment where someone who's not even invested became invested because of how ridiculous it was um now I want to move and that like segues me into creators versus celebrities. I know they're becoming intertwined, but I kind of have a theory that creators have evolved quicker than celebrities in terms of responding to um, crises. And I, I saw a few videos about this on my For You page when Drew Barrymore's video came out, the like sitting cross-legged on the floor um, disheveled. And there was a YouTuber who did that, I believe in like 2016, Laura Lee. And oh. yes, where she was on the floor crying to her camera, apologizing about things that had happened. And she got made fun of for it. It became a big meme, but it was like creators were making those mistakes years ago and are no longer making mistakes that now it's like what happened to creators in 2015 to 2018 
is now happening happening to celebrities and it's like they haven't evolved to like mm-hmm. respond as well. I think a lot of celebrities like you, I know you've talked about it a lot, the IG story route with like the text that's kind of hard to screenshot and put up on, mm-hmm. you know, the today show big TVs, but, um, mm-hmm. and then it, it leads me to the London and Olivia apology where I, I, I'm just giving context and I want to ask your opinion, but they had the racist tweets come out on they were had this big people were calling it tiktok's royal wedding and then the this information came out and they issued an apology but this is where i think again creators are more savvy than celebrities where their apology was on a tiktok story that i didn't even know tiktok stories could be 10 minutes long and i'm like Mm -hmm. that is something that like yes celebrities have media people like us on their team but I don't think a Drew Barrymore would know that she could upload a 24-hour apology to TikTok of all places. Like, I don't think that – I think creators are just, like, more evolved. And I also think that creators have, like, what I call information overload, where I think Donald Trump used to do this almost, again, accidentally, where the Kardashians, I think, do it as well. If you do something that's, like, awful and in the news, if you just do a bunch of other things right after – like it gets pushed down in the in the news cycle mm-hmm. and in Google. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. creators are able to do this because they post 10 TikToks a day, whereas someone mm-hmm. like Ashton Kutcher has to wait until his next speaking conference or his next movie comes out, which could be years. Mm-hmm. And so he's just sitting on this story in a way. I, I All of that being said now, what are your thoughts on creators versus celebrities and their response? Oh, uh, I... Oh, I oh. One, I agree with you 100% on everything that you said. With a slight deviation on one, um, 100%. And I just gave an interview yesterday about this very thing that celebrities are looking at influencers and looking at content creators to learn a very valuable currency that they do not have, they do not possess, which is another reason why I don't think they do well on this app. And that's relatability. A celebrity in Hollywood cannot be relatable to someone sitting on TikTok. They just can't. They just can't. And so I think they envy these content creators and influencers and how much power, you know, they wield. It's, it really is. There's that dichotomy there. So that's why some celebrities are just not even bothering with it, but they, they, you know, they're probably gnashing their teeth, wishing that they had it. And I'm with you that, that influencers, content creators understand the language, the culture, the nuance, they understand, like, you're probably like me, you can almost like read the algorithm in a way and you can read when things are going to go sour or you can look at your comments and know, oh, I cleared this or this will be fine. Or, you know, you can, you can just Mm -hmm. become more predictable the more that you're on it. And creators are much, 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 much better. However, the one, the, the greater risk that creators and influencers have compared to celebrity is that celebrities understand risk better than I think influencers and creators do. Mm. You know, many of them are younger and many of them are driven by like influencers, brand deals, money. They're not thinking about risk. They're thinking about, yeah, people blowing them up for whatever, but they're not associating, you know, bad commentary and sentiment with losing brand deals. And so when it happens, I don't think they know necessarily know how to respond. Like Olivia and London going on on TikTok stories. I, I do not think that that was some strategic move that they all sat there and said, I know what we'll do in, in the heat of a crisis. No one is thinking clearly. And I know this yeah. firsthand. Same. No one can think strategically at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one. 
They just want to get through it. So the reason why I think Olivia and London chose stories was to was to just to get through it, and so it would go away. I, yeah. And I'm saying that because so I agree. I see where you're coming from. Practically, mm-hmm. it makes sense to do that, but also reputationally to do it on stories. And I said this in my post, and I didn't explain it. You don't have to go on TikTok or the same app where you make your money. You don't have to do that. There are yeah. other places where you could do it. Like they they clear like they were in People magazine the next day. They could have just done a people, they could have done an interview with people. They could have done um a podcast interview with someone else. They could have put a statement somewhere. You you could put it on Instagram but not on TikTok. Yeah. So there's other places where you can go, but I still stand that that is a 100% agent driven. We have to protect the brand. You're a new budding. You know, they yeah. are still new. They've been around for a while. Yes. But they're getting bigger and bigger. That was a protective measure the whole way, I think. Yeah. And there's also just like intersectional layers here as well, where, um, you know, we put our strategy hats on, but it's like there are, uh, you know, people that are affected and hurt by what they said. And then I think that there's also people who they had, it's almost like the Ashton Kutcher Thorne thing where they also had a shield in a way because they were also a part of a marginalized group. And there were so many layers here that like were at play in, in that moment too, that I think is why so many eyes were on it. And um, it was also just the timing of it. Like it was just this, again, reality is stranger than fiction. Like you could not write these things. It just, things happen that you don't always predict or know. Um, and I'm glad we have a few minutes too, because I did want to ask you as well. I, this is something I'm fascinated by. Ellen DeGeneres had the moment in 2020 where I remember I was working at BuzzFeed and a BuzzFeed news article came out about her work culture. And I, on the back end of the industry, knew multiple people from different lanes who had never even interacted with one another, but had both told me stories of working with her. And it was just a known thing in LA in the industry. Really? Yeah. There was one person who... And this is all hearsay. I don't know for sure. It's not firsthand. One person went in for an interview at her. And this is when she was like the belle of the ball. Someone went yeah. in for an interview, a, I think, marketing or production side. And um, they were going through the interviews. And then someone near the end of the interview cycle kind of pulled them aside and told them quietly, don't take this job. It is hell. <sighs> And then another person worked on like the camera side um, and had a friend who worked there. And it was just known in the industry that like you don't take jobs at the Ellen show. Um, And I worked in L.A. So it was just something that I had heard rumblings about. Interesting. Yeah. And so but I do wonder, like, why do you think her her crisis just never came back? Do you think she just retired and was like, screw it? I don't like I know she did her show for another season. But I also wonder too, like, I'm kind of in the camp that like, yes, I heard those stories and I would never work there. I also think that there was misogyny at play where there are tons of male late night hosts who are known to be nightmares and stories now come out. But God forbid a woman is mean and that could be career ending for her. But a man, if a man is mean, it's because he's good at his job and he's just being a boss. So why do you think that she never, I'm so glad we have just a few minutes because I wanted to ask you that situation to me is like something where I felt like the, the price she paid for the crime didn't feel, it just didn't feel fair 
compared to men that have done similar things. Okay. Uh, that's a fair argument. Uh, I have to start at the beginning. You, I didn't, you were at BuzzFeed. That's interesting. And why BuzzFeed is interesting. Years. Okay. Is they, as you know, then they broke the story about yeah. Ellen DeGeneres and the reporter who broke the Ellen DeGeneres story at BuzzFeed broke the Kelly Clarkson story at Rolling Stone and also oh. broke the Jimmy Fallon story at Rolling Stone. It's the same reporter. Wow. I don't so know she, them personally, but wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Christy. Yeah. Christy Lee. And I keep forgetting starts, her last yeah. name starts with a Y. Um, but uh, uh, Gucci, I can't remember her uh, last well, name. I'll I did a podcast up, on yes. it. Yes. I, I hate because I, I, I always talk about her and then I forget her name. Yeah. But that's one interesting through line, right? Like you mm -hmm. knew about it. She clearly knew about it as well. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, it's true. And, and not only was, you know, Ellen part of the workplace workplace culture problem, but her story wasn't just about Ellen. It was about the producers as well. And mm -hmm. producers are the ones who create really bad environments at talk shows. So that's really the through line. That was the Jimmy Fallon problem. That was the Kelly Clarkson problem. It wasn't Kelly Clarkson. Now, what you can do is you can compare Ellen DeGeneres with Kelly Clarkson. Like, why did Kelly get through it? And Ellen didn't. And it comes down to what we said about Will Smith and also what we said about Lizzo. Ellen DeGeneres projected the nice image. Yeah. She monetized the kind, nice image. That's what she was known for. That's what she sold us on. The public um, stakeholders, they were betrayed by Ellen yes. DeGeneres because she was not who she appeared. Same as Lizzo. So whereas Kelly Clarkson, we all know Kelly Clarkson is Kelly Clarkson. I mean, Kelly Clarkson is Kelly Clarkson, right? She just is. So that's why she was able to do it because Kelly Clarkson immediately came out and addressed it within 24 hours. Ellen DeGeneres sat on it and she didn't address it because she wanted it to go away. She thought her goodwill was going to carry her through it. That's ego. Her ego yeah. thought, Ashton Kutcher, ego thought that their brand and decades of goodwill, we're going to get them through it because everybody loves me. And then they find out that's not the case. So that's what happened to Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. People online creators, they have firsthand feedback for how people take them in. You know, all yeah. they have to do is post and then look on TikTok. Celebrities don't have that. Yeah. They, they, they don't yeah. have any type of sense of how people are reacting to them unless a publicist or an agent or someone tells them and then something blows up. There's so much time and distance between what they do yeah. And the impact of what they do. Whereas if you're a creator, it's like, boom, you know, it's a yeah. second, you know, that it happens. So I think that's the reason why celebrities cannot fully grasp what to do. It's just so interesting to understand how people maneuver. And like, at the end of the day, we're all just humans. Like, and I think that yeah. people think that celebrities are these like mad scientists that of course they have privileges and they have things that we don't, but it's like, they also are human and I think people see them as one dimensional or cardboard cutouts that they can like idolize or throw daggers at. But at the end of the day, yeah. like they're also figuring things out as we are as well. So yeah, it's all just, mm -hmm. it's all just so interesting, but, um, but thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to refresh your TikTok and see your thoughts on the Jada Pickett Smith and Will Smith. I am going to quickly film it. I have to yes. be somewhere, but okay. I'm going to try and quickly Amazing. film that out. And it's inspired from our talk today. So thank Amazing. you. Okay, I love how you. your brain works. I'm such a oh, fan. But oh, now that I you. see you think in real time, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down with yes. your stuff. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. You're I great, agree. Coco. You're great. Thank you so much.